process, before productivity, before consequence, there is you. Before community, before responsibility, before the right thing to do, there is the gut. Welcome to Eyes Eye, a podcast in favor of vision and capacity. My name is Nashtu, and this is a David Demawi recipe. Enjoy. Your thoughts, not your feelings, decide nothing. Obey the gut, right there in the intestines. There is the eyes, eye. But, but the thing is, a lot of my dreams actually come true. So I would, I would dream something, and then maybe a year, year and a half later, I'd be in a situation and be like, wait, I was here in this subway. But then realizing it was a dream that I dreamt about being in a subway car or seeing someone or, um, yeah, or understanding this, this feeling of recognition, like I've been here before. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds, it sounds, um, vision also creates this idea of like a leader or someone who has a vision to lead someone else. And I, I know. Dreams then also talk about possibilities of, um, that you're unaware of. But, and I think visions anchor in a certain way, like, okay, this is the end point. And then illusions present you with a false sense of where it could go. So it gives you an overestimation either of um, your own capabilities um, or an overestimation of your understanding of your position at that moment. Um, so I think illusions are interesting because they also present you with what could be. Um, but that you haven't achieved yet because you're not ready yet, which is also interesting. So illusions aren't necessarily bad. They're just presentations of realities that haven't manifested yet because you haven't done the work to get there. Um, and I think visions present the possibility of getting there and also the tools to get there, right? And then dreams are wide open, like, okay. It could be, it could go all over the place. Um, and I think dreams for me also connect to this more chaotic idea, right? Visions are concrete, illusions are also concrete, but dreams can be an elephant floating or dreams can be um, people swimming in the Rhine to get to work. But that's not a dream that actually happens, right? So I could be dreaming that this is completely ridiculous while I'm sleeping in, in, in my bed in Curacao. Or when I go to Basel and I actually see people jump into the river, I'm like, okay, wait, no. For me, that's a dream, but for them, it's a reality. So even there, these different relations to your own position and those collective, like what's a collective dream? What's a collective illusion? What's a collective vision? Um, and I think it's, it's, it's trying to figure out to go from the individual understanding of what you want to achieve towards a collective understanding of it so for me the relationship between between the three always connect back to community like how do we see in our community the illusions that we've presented ourselves so how do we see the visions where do we want to go as a community what are our dreams as a community what are the possibilities that we could reach Have you thought about how you're going to rid yourself of your blanket, Linus? It will be hard, but I don't need this blanket. I don't need it at all. I can throw it away anytime I want to. 
I think that connects back to um, one of the first uh, performances I had, um, and it was part of the performance collective that I used to be a part of called Poetry Circle Nowhere in Amsterdam. And um, one of the founders, Lise Aries, um, was like, okay, I want to create this idea of an evening without a host, so how do we do that? And then um, she came up with the idea of having this floating typewriter. So there's just a, a projection of a white sheet of paper and the words just appear. Um, and it reminded me of this old like children's TV show called Ghost Rider, where this ghost would then give clues or give instructions to these kids to do. And it made me then understand um, the understanding of specters and ghosts and how do you manifest them and how do they lead to different actions. Um, so for me, the, the first from tangible to or from intangible to tangible was that moment where these words would just appear and you know how the process happened and you know that these words and words in general never just appear. They're from a specific context, they're from a specific understanding of the world, a specific positioning and the words and the way how they're presented also give you the sense of what's being left behind, right? What's not being spoken, what's not being said. So even there, the intangible is made intangible because there are tangible obstructions to make it tangible. So for me, it's always these these, well, always is a big word, but it's, it's these understandings of there are processes in place to make something tangible or keep it intangible, right? So what's, the fact that we're talking here in this space is also made tangible because of an intangible idea of a friend of mine. Augusto Muraya was writing in his journal for, I don't, I don't even can grasp like for how long he was doing that. He made this text, it was then booked. He decided not to come uh, to Europe anymore as long as the visa process to enter Schengen is still as stringent as it is. And he was like, hey, Quincy, could you go and do that for me? So his, his, the, the intangible resistance made tangible to these regimes of disciplining within Europe and what type of bodies get to enter under what type of conditions, which seemed to some people like abstract understandings on paper are made tangible by his choice and that tangibility then also puts me here, right? So I love understanding and trying to figure out this Rubik's Cube, like all these colors are connected. We just need to figure out how. Well, as they say on TV, the mere fact that you realize you need help indicates that you are not too far gone. But I'm in sad shape. Have no fear, little brother. My job is to heal, to guide the patient to be that voice gently whispering sound advice into his ear. Grow up! Too much healing can be hazardous to your health. Um, I do deal with it, but I also try to keep the process of working for myself constantly um, mysterious in a sense. Like I, I love, so there is there is an intuition that plays a role. There is um, a learned practice that plays a role. There is um, an awareness of situations, an awareness of place and of, of position um, that plays a role. But it also is chance. Um, one of the most interesting things I find is that I was having a conversation with my mom on my birthday and it was like a day before I had another performance and the performance was going to be about Curacao and different understandings of resistance and how resistance on Curacao then led to resistance in different places or informed um, different type of relations. 
um, international relations, right? So I created this piece in which I connect to um, um, this kidnapping of the governor on Curacao to resistance movements in Venezuela, um, the hijacking of a cruise ship, um, the Santa Maria um, uh, from, in 1961 happened from Curacao, right? So in Curacao is when all these guys, the general uh, and his men went on the ship. The ship then ends up not going to Angola where it was supposed to go. And all the journalists are there and they're like, hey, wait, the ship isn't coming. So how do we, what, what do we write about? Okay, let's write about the armed resistance, right? And bomb. And like, wow, amazing. <laughs> but most of these things uh, and this realization to put them together came because during that conversation with my mom she was like yeah Santa Maria there was a song about that made by um, Rudy Plata so I was like what wait I never heard this song and then you hear the song you're like this is amazing and that moment that that transition of my how is then informed because of me going to my mom and having a piece of cake for my birthday, right? So the practice is then connected to relationality. It's connected to who am I speaking to? How am I speaking to them? What are they willing to share with me? And how do I make sure that what they share is then um, conducive to a creative process that, that takes it from this extraction model, which usually happens with like artists, right? We go somewhere, we do something, and then we leave. And I was like, no, wait, mm, I, I don't want to work like that. I want to work in a... Um, in a way in which my practice leads to self-empowerment, um, but also in a way in which the aesthetics that I choose don't become instrumentalized only for social movements, right? Mm -hmm. So it needs to be able to do both at the same time. It needs to be like, like soca music, right? Um, where you would have these guys singing the most radical stuff, but in the song you could bop your head to, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, wait, what's going on? This guy is completely tearing apart prime ministers, he's completely tearing apart police departments or something, but it sounds good, so I want to listen to it some more. Um, and I think a lot of my work tries to deal with this understanding of how do I make uh, what I make not in a sense pleasurable, but how do I make it fit into daily regimes or daily lives of people that encounter the work? Like, how could you take it up? You know? It comes down to... Um, and it was my brother who a while back um, like pinpointed it, and he was like, mm, "Dude, you need to watch how you how you say some things." Because I have a saying, or a saying, um, one of those things I always say a lot, which is "komt goed," and then in Dutch it means um, it'll be okay. You know, whatever happens, uh, we'll figure out a way. It'll be okay. And he's like, "No, no, wait, that's a passive voice. You need to activate it." So instead of saying komt goed, you should say um, we're going to make it okay or we're going to make it good or um, because of what we're going to plan to do, it's going to be okay. But that sets it already in a structure of knowing how it'll be okay. And I love this idea that you might not know. Um, and you step into something not quite understanding why you're stepping into it or no you understand why you're stepping into it but you don't quite understand why the way you're stepping into it gives you the sense that what you're doing will end up to be okay um and a lot of the things in my life and the choices i've made have to deal with 
in a certain way thinking, you know what, it'll be okay. Um, I'll fuck up here, I'll mess up there, I'll do something great here, I'll do something mediocre there, or at least other people find it mediocre, I find it great, you know, it's a different conversation. <laughs> and then, um, and then having, like you say, in the back of my mind, this trust in the cosmos, like, you know what, we're here for a limited amount of time. We have this consciousness that gives us these um, extra feelers out into the universe in a certain sense. And sometimes those feelers tell you, hey, run for your life. And other times they tell you, just stand still, right? Stillness is the move. Um, what do you do? Um, how do you make sure that whenever you get goosebumps, you understand it's not just a physical reaction to your body, but it's a mental and physical coming together, which is a complete obliteration of like the Descartes mind-body um, um, uh, disconnect. Like, no, it's just one organism reacting simultaneously. I'm like, wait, wait, that's it then, right? So, komt goed is this understanding of, yeah, we're one organism and, and we're figuring out how to relate to one another, to be with one another. And I'm trying to figure out what my position is within that we. Um, and just trusting in the process of, you know, whatever happens will happen. Maliciousness of other people, um, obstacles which um, you're not prepared for, um, and also uh, uh, um, um, intentions of, of other people which you might not be aware of initially. So all of those are obstacles in a certain way, and all of those also give you pause to think about okay is this the right way forward and yet at the same time I'm like these are things which um, which come with it um, obstacles are part of life other people's intentions of how they relate to you or how they deal with you or how they interact with you is also something that they do it's not something uh, it's something I need to be aware of and yet at the same time I shouldn't want to change the way how I'm doing simply based on being unaware of how other people react as long as I know that my intentions are good and my intentions are for bettering or making pleasure or whatever then there needs to be an understanding of okay it's good yeah, it's, it'll, it'll be okay yeah. and the maliciousness of others yeah I mean um, a lot of that has to deal with fear connected to power um, and once you understand that then you can see through it and you can also try to figure out okay if this is what you're trying to do you're trying to hurt me how do I make sure that what you're doing will not lead to me stopping what I'm doing um, it will cause me to pause but it won't cause me to stop and I think that's also one of these these interesting aspects of the work that I do um, and also how the work that I do impacts how people interact, interact with me outside of my practice. I think with me it has to do with experience, um, in a certain sense experiencing different types of trauma based on, on, on the work I do and based on the interactions I have with people uh, via my work. And then understanding that um, this accumulation of, of experience um, turns into wisdom, right? Um, 
uh, a wisdom of intergenerational contact. Like, okay, wait, uh, people before me have also had to deal with it. What did they do? Uh, people before them also had to do it. What did they do? Um, and then trying to figure out what's the best thing I can take out of that or I can learn from that and incorporate to my own um, reverberations with this maliciousness. someday, would you chuckle lightly or laugh loud and long? I don't know. It's kind of hard to say offhand. Schroeder, I have the feeling you and I will get married someday. It's a combination of, of um, it's a combination of understanding the techniques with which values become the status quo and trying to hack them. Right. So, if uh, a certain type of thinking becomes dominant, why did it become dominant? What was done in order for a lot of people to adopt it? And then when you understand that what the mainstream or what the dominant notion is, and that's violent towards um, people from my background, Dutch Caribbean, uh, people of African descent, um, people who are descendants of, of, of slavery, um, then it becomes about understanding the ways in which discourse, the ways in which aesthetics, the ways in which the circulation of images and thoughts contributed in making a certain type of thinking dominant, right? And so being placed within the arts, being placed within even the radio medium, being placed within television, being placed within writing, creates this, this opportunity to then present mm, different ways of being, different ways of thinking. And it depends on the amount of pressure you place on certain bottlenecks, how that then becomes mainstream. Um, and also, I think what helps is that you understand that whatever you're doing or whatever you're thinking is because of a product of a certain type of system and also a certain socialization. So, um, growing up, I would hear my mom talk about her time in the women's movement in the Caribbean, right? Or I would hear about my dad going to save someone's life as a fireman, right? So th that's a different type of home setting. That's a specific type of home setting which then puts you on a course to think about your own positioning within the world. Coming to the Netherlands to study, I get involved with friends who are busy with poetry and not just any type of poetry but spoken word poetry, which is inherently about proclaiming social conditions which are harmful, right? And then once you have that, then it becomes thinking, okay, so what's going on? 
Um, why are we all feeling these conditions or why are we all recognizing these conditions? How can we change these conditions together? And then it's about finding the institutions to place pressure on them, trying to figure out how do we collectively disregard the dominant or change the dominant narrative. Um, and I think the only way you can do that is by having your understanding of what's good, what's bad, what's harmful, and then contrasting it constantly to the dominant. Like, okay, is the dominant accepting that it's not okay to let African migrants die in the Mediterranean Sea? Is the dominant uh, narrative okay with letting people die in concentration camps or letting people uh, starve in concentration camps in Bosnia? Um, is, is the dominant narrative okay with understanding the colonial past as the golden age, right? Like, how do we break that apart? And I think for me, it's always about finding these histories, finding these archives, doing the work, and having the conversations with older generations. A lot of people right now think that they're reinventing the wheel, and I'm like, no, no, that's just that's the absolute wrong way to think about it. Also, this idea of the original, right? Being the original voice, it's a completely Western European dominant narrative which we need to let go. There's nothing original. Even the atoms in our bodies have been around since the beginning of time, right? So if you let that go, then you understand as well that shifts are possible, but nothing is set in stone. Um, there's, there's, yeah, I don't know, annoy? Annoy also places like a certain importance, and and um, I think the only thing that that truly really annoys me is um, well, no, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things that I I don't ascribe to, um, and yet at the same time I'm like, if I place as much energy on that instead of my own work, I'm not gonna get ahead, or I'm not gonna be able to keep on generating and creating and, and producing. Um, so annoyance is like being on Twitter and seeing someone make like a dumb dumb argument or, or a dumb comment. I'm like, okay, that's annoying. And I add like a gif of someone smiling or something, you know? Um, but annoyance, yeah, it, it's like hindrances and then you step over it and you keep going. Well, I mean... It, different things. Um, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, is um, I, I did a project um, looking at, at this blackface figure in the Netherlands called Swarte Piet. And um, a lot of people, uh, when they heard about the project, they were thinking like, yeah, it's about trying to piss off um, the dominant group that likes to celebrate this figure, and it's about um, pushing them and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's, that's part of what happened. But initially, it was about colleagues of my mom who called her Black Pete. And I'm like, okay, wait, um, no. Um, so, so it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I wanted to change, something that pushed me into a different type of mode of thinking, wait, this figure, we need to do something about it. Um, and then what happens is while you're working with it, you realize that this singular event, which then pushed me into, into action, you can say, 
was something that was shared by a whole bunch of people who just didn't know what type of words and what type of aesthetics to connect to expressing this violence that was done to them. Um, and so my, 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 um, how I think about pushing and, and the things that then hurt me in terms of um, understanding the things that I want to change always come from this place of um, trying to figure out and understand to change people's actions in terms of how they deal and relate to either one another or to the past or to the present or um, to my family. Like, you don't touch my mom. <laughs> I love improvisations, right? So it's, it's, it's being prepared for the unplanned in a certain sense. Um, so the, the, the idea of a future is constantly evolving and changing, and it could mean, um, it could mean doing a PhD, or it could mean um, making art exhibitions, or it could mean having a family and kids. It could, it could mean all these different things, and it could mean all of them at the same time, or all of them separately. Um, and so it's, on the one hand, thinking ahead or planning or being prepared for things that might come ahead, but also not being fixed on what it could or should be. And I think that's what's helped me up to now in a certain sense of understanding how to move within this concept of time, right? Um, differently than to how our grandparents used to do that, right? They would think, hey, you know, I need to feed the kids today and then tomorrow I need to feed them again, and then the day after I need to feed them again. And so it's that type of understanding of, okay, the planning is today, right? So today is the future. What do I want to do today? What do I want to manifest today? How do I create the today that is the yesterday that I thought would be amazing, right? So um, the future is far away, and it's also the next word I say, right? So it's trying to figure that out. Hey, Linus, where's your blanket? Lucy locked it in the closet. She wants me to do without it until dinner. It's her way of getting me to gradually free myself of it before Grandma comes. You don't look too well. How would you look if your whole nervous system was shot? Well, I mean, being prepared for the unplanned is, is doing the work, right? Um, it's um, going into the archive, it's reading, it's having conversations, it's making sure that histories which um, are embedded in like the family stories that we have that we never really analyze properly or that we just have around us and, and don't quite understand how powerful they are, that we go back and reevaluate, like, okay, wait. Um, my grandmother used to say that she was one of the first people who went in the airplane on Curacao, right? And she would say this in passing sometimes, and I was like, wait, this probably was true, right? And, and some people would laugh it off and be like, no, couldn't be. But she grew up in a period where the U.S. Army was on the island, and she worked at a laundromat where all of the soldiers came. So who knows which soldier tried to impress her and took her on a plane? <laughs> it's, it's, it's for me, it's, 
when when thinking of of kids and and the way how they're trying to prepare for the future i'm thinking hey what do you find important to look at what are the stories what are the interesting things around you which grab your attention what are the the ways of being which interest you right and from there on trying to um dig into it because the knowledge that you have the knowledge that you gain will somewhere down the line come come be be handy come handy it's it's um talking to kids as well about their future planning it's like hey go to school right and understand that school is not the only place where you can be educated right it's um understanding these structures that are now around it but also understanding that they're not solid that they can be moved and shifted it's about understanding their placement within their families, right? Like if the support from your family is not there, how do you create your new family? How do you create your own surroundings which nurture and, and take care of you? And who can you take care of? And I think for me, it's always trying to push these questions back. Like, okay, you want to go into the future? What does that mean? Is the future a football contract? Is the future um, being the best librarian you can be? Is the future um being someone who who teaches like what does that mean for you what where do you get enjoyment in life from and how do you also disconnect work from enjoyment right because we all know people who work and who don't have pleasure in it but they have their pleasure outside of it so even this disconnect needs to be understood because sometimes people always talk about do what you love and i'm like hey not everyone has the privilege to be able to do that, right? Or not everyone has the access towards institutions that can be pleasurable to them. So how do you make sure that within those institutions which can be harmful to you, you make sure that you don't um, end up depleted? So find those different pockets of joy outside of work or outside of what you do. Study your enemy, right? Um, not study them to, to take up the logic of the arguments or not study them to learn from them because I, I think that's really harmful. I think study them to understand in which ways you can um, still prosper, right? Through their hindrance. That someone can do something and institutions can try to block you, but even that blocking is feeding into what you're trying to put forward. Um, in, in 2014, I, I tried to press charges against people who were threatening my life, right? And um, I, I compiled a list, I look back at like six, seven months of my inbox, things that people said online, uh, articles in, in right-wing newspapers, and then uh, comments. I ended up being like 770 pages. So I went to the cops and I was like, hey, this is all 770 do something with it and I knew they would reject it and so knowing that they were rejected because 770 at that time would have been one-fifth of all of the complaints that were ever actually given to the police about racism uh, in that year <clears throat> I knew that it would lead to a different type of input for a different artistic project I was working on so that was all research for a a performance piece which I made called How Do You Press Charges Against 770 People, right? And then just documenting the whole process. Um, but that's, of course, an artistic response. Um, what you can also do in terms of, of understanding these obstacles is thinking ahead. Like, if this obstacle comes in your place, what's your alternative? 
What's your plan C, plan D, plan E, plan F? And how do you make sure that you are able to implement all these different plans, right? Always have a backup, um, whatever it is that you want to achieve. And I think also the, the, the next point is then um, always be multi-frontal, right? So sometimes we think you need to uh, attack an obstacle or a problem or an institution head on, but there are different avenues of getting in there, right? Um, there are different ways of changing behaviors, changing aesthetics, changing talking points. Like, how do, how do you push that? Um, and I think for me, uh, the, the, the next way of doing that is find your accomplices, right? Find the people that together with you also want to break down a system or also want to um, change the way how we live and learn from them. And feed each other, nurture each other, care for each other. Um, make sure that whenever someone wants to help you or, or be part of the struggle with you, that they have as much to lose as you do, right? Because it also becomes like this dependent relationship, which also is not healthy for what you're trying to achieve. So if we're fighting for something and I might lose something, I need to know that you might also lose something because you're fighting with me. Um, and I think that's been really helpful for my understanding of who I deal with and how I deal with people, um, what projects I do, um, how I look at the world around me and how I position myself. I keep coming back to this idea that within Europe sometimes we talk about the black community, right? But then we forget that the black community consists of people from the Caribbean, people from Africa, people from Northern America, people from Southern America, people from Asia, and then all with different types of rights. So if someone comes and they're, let's say, from Sudan and they want to protest against racism, but they have a visa and they can't get arrested, then you should not be mad at that person for now being on the street with you protesting. From the Dutch Caribbean, I have a European passport, I have a Dutch passport. If I get arrested, I get arrested, right? It's not going to mean my deportation outside the country. So it's also understanding these, these different, um, the, the relief and the texture between us and understanding in ways in which that informs how we can work together, right? Um, and I think that's also really important because we're not all equal. And that makes it, that, no, we're not all the same, right? And also this, this, this hierarchization of difference, right? That's the, the problem that we're dealing with. It's not the sense that we all need to be the same. It's like, no, um, we are different. Let's understand these differences and let's, let's um, give them the importance that they deserve. Right?